0: All right. Hello, everyone. Today, we are very excited to welcome a very special guest to Look Again podcast, George Mumford. George is a writer, coach, teacher, mentor, mindfulness practitioner, and longtime meditator. He has joined us today to sit back and hang out while we explore his knowledge and experience with mindfulness and how it has shaped his life. Thank you for hanging with us today. It's always good to see you, man. We really appreciate it, man. We're always humbled and honored to hang with you. You know your family, so
1: it's good to have you here with us. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm with the masters today. <laughs>
0: I can't see in your video. I don't know who you're talking about. It's not, it's not
1: us. No, uh, um, no, brother, no. I'm speaking to your masterpiece. It's always there.
0: So on this podcast, you know, we discuss various topics in detail, trying mm-hmm. to bring life into, into certain ideas of, of certain things, right? And, and your work in, in the mindfulness field has helped others achieve all sorts of goals, right? So with the work that you've done over all these years, what would you say is your understanding of mindfulness and, and how do you define it or experience it?
1: Yes. So th- there's a lot of definitions of mindfulness for me. Mindfulness is it just mirror mind. It's, it's, it's this ability to observe experience without any filters, without in, in, any interpretation, but just this just reflection of what's in front of you, letting things that That are in front of you speak to you in their own, or I'll I'll speak in the first person. So when I see things, it's to be mindful and to be able to have fresh eyes so that I'm seeing things, you know, as they present themselves or let things speak to themselves for themselves in their own language, where I try not to interpret or, or to interrupt or anything, or they say, oh, yeah, but they'll let have that space of just being open to the unfolding moment without moving without trying to do anything but just observing as that silent witness with patience and with intelligence because I gotta know what I'm looking for or what am I what are the essence or what information do I need to take in. So that's my definition of mindfulness. It's is just you know unfiltered raw data. Interesting. And when
2: you mention it like that, there's a sense of mindfulness working, but you're not responding. You're not reacting. You're more or less how you say you're witnessing. And I feel like a lot of us is like, we see something happen in our lives and then we respond. And then sometimes we don't, we're not in like a clear mindset. So we tend to have different version of how we would like to go about it. Do you find it hard to be in that mind state of let things happen and try to wait to respond?
1: Yeah, let's be really clear. Now, it depends on the context Yes, in which we are operating. See, a lot of times we talk about content. We don't talk about the context. So if I'm just sitting at home and I'm just being in my body and being with my breath, then I could could afford to observe more. But when I'm interacting with people or if I'm engaged in in an activity, I have to have some training that allows me to react to things. So the idea is to create space between stimulus and response. What I'm really doing is focusing on my habit patterns I have. And some habit patterns, there might not be space between stimulus and response because I program myself to be kind, to be loving. Even mindfulness, when we start practicing mindfulness, it's what the Tibetans call it's, it's a fabricated mindfulness. We're, we're doing it. But then at some point, it becomes automatic, and we don't have to use so much activation energy or getting it engaged. It just happens because we train ourselves to just to be present for it. And, and so that's what happens. And so things that we really love, things that we do really well, in those activities, we program ourselves for success because we know how to, we know what to look for. And when we see it, and the seeing, seeing and acting are like this without a hair's breadth in between when we really see clearly. So there's this idea of not knowing. But there's an idea of when we're in that, what I call the eye of the hurricane, when we're really present, there's a knowing that goes with know, seeing what's happening. So mindfulness is a thing that allows us to both see and know. So the knowing part is the wisdom. So people keep talking about mindfulness like it's this miracle drug and it's by itself. Well, it's supported by clearly knowing or insight, wisdom. It's supported so- by right effort. It's supported by trust. It's supported by Stability of mind. All of these things are happening in the moment, but we so, just talk about mindfulness, which is the heart of it. But mindfulness. It's supported by all
3: those things and mindfulness supports all those things. Okay, nice. So is that p- a part of the way that you sold it? I mean, because you've worked with like, I ha- I got to get this question out of the way. I can't be having you on a podcast and not ask you a question. Like you've worked with two of the biggest like stone cold killers in NBA history. Like mm-hmm. those dudes that will step on your throat and destroy you. And, mm-hmm. and that's what they thrive for is those moments. Uh, Kobe, rest in peace to the Mamba and Michael Jordan, right? So is that how you sold it to them? Because a lot of people can see meditation as you know, a way to calm you down. And I can see certain people that live for those moments, seeing as that's something that might take away from their edge, or it might they might hear about mindfulness, they think about compassion and love. And that's not what, like, someone that's that dominant at a sport is about. So how did you sell to people like that on, on being able to meditate and, and being mindful? So working with MJ, so it was a little bit different, but I had a lot of street cred because I room with Dr. J., so I worked with,
1: you know, I was roommate with Dr. J. So I seen him go through the process. So I had street cred with MJ and all the other guys. So they knew I because at that time, Dr. J was like, he was Michael Jordan before Michael Jordan. And so on some level, I was around Dr. J. He was one of my boys, my roommate, then Michael, then Kobe. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> that's all come you got to say. Man. That's the lineage right there. That's the that's lineage right there. So with MJ, it was really more about me just connecting with him and once with these cats, because they're seeking, they're pursuing excellence. Once I start talking to them about, well, this is what Jay did, or this is what I'm telling you about performing at a high level with grace and ease. I'm talking about performing like martial arts, being a spiritual warrior and being able to continue to evolve because as good as you are, there's another level and I can help you get there.
2: Nice. Nice. So you mentioned street cred and like you rooming with Dr. J back in the day. Was there a sense of like that street cred actually allowed you to present mindfulness to these athletes who maybe have been a little bit more of like eh, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about, man?
1: No, it was it wasn't that simple. See, because you gotta you gotta think about it this way. So my experience growing up in the hood and being addicted to to drugs and alcohol. And then coming out of it, chronic pain, using that, and then working at, the, you know, Center for Mindfulness before I worked with them, which used to be the stress reduction and relaxation program. So I worked with, with John Kabat-Zinn and, and the and the mindfulness-based stress reduction folks for five years, working in prison and, and developing an inner city clinic. So it was really more my experience living in the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center for six years, where I would go out and do house calls, whether it was a the mindfulness, the Center for Mindfulness or the Meditation Center. So I had to go out and meet people where they were and transform the language into a, a language that they can listen, they can hear. And so because I played basketball, because I grew up in the hood and because I had experience being around pro athletes, elite pro athletes, it was easy for me. I, I could translate what I was offering them in a way where they could hear it. But the main thing was they want to play at a high level Uh, And they want to be able to manage stress and and perform at a high level in the middle of all of the chaos. In the middle of because to be a professional athlete, you have to understand anxiety is their friend because it's the anxiety or the fear of getting hurt, not being selected, not having a contract, you know. And then not even talking about the the full catastrophe—the parent, the kids, and the wife and all that, or girlfriend. So it was really more about me just talking to them about how to perform at the highest level. I mean, that's, I say that probably my two best students, Kobe and Michael.
4: I heard you talk about, you know, like had a a battle with like, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. I know Ali and I are brothers and, you know, we were introduced to uh, meditation as youngsters and our uh, teacher, who's uh, our godfather, uh, was trying to expose us to yoga throughout the years. And like, he would, uh we'd be sitting around his table drinking some beer, and he'd be like, man, y'all know we're putting these toxins in our body. There's a practice that you can do to get it out and just start doing a breath of fire as we're chilling, sitting around the table, like breathing really fast through his nose, which is great for mm-hmm. athletes because, you know, expands your lung capacity, calms you down, mm-hmm. brings a, a alpha wave over your brain, all that type of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we weren't ready for it. But uh the year, like I said, I played basketball for Maryland for two years, but I was wild as shit and you know mm-hmm. it kind of led me like with you know me trying to walk to class people would be like yo Ottman, yo uh got this weed over here you you trying to smoke before class and that would mm-hmm. set me up for failure like hell and mm-hmm. or you know a, a lot of distractions so that kind of led me to have to take a year off from school and during that year off is you know when Ali Andy and I started hanging out with our uh, godfather and our teacher and it started the practice started resonating with us that much more and we saw how it kind of strengthened us mentally physically spiritually and emotionally and we've been sold ever since we're like man we gotta share this with everybody you know what I mean Mm -hmm. what what was it with you that made you gung-ho about the practice you know as we talked before uh, the podcast you're a serious competitor people don't want to call you out on the basketball court you know, because you might give it to him. But what what is it that kind of led you uh, to the practice and stick with it for so long? Yes. So my ass was on fire
1: because all that stuff y'all talking about. I had that in college. Oh man, you know you can do yoga, do tai chi, meditate. I said, man, give me a broom and get the f out of my face, <laughs> leave me alone. Because uh, I I didn't know anybody. But but when I got injured and couldn't play basketball anymore, didn't know who I was, and I got addicted to pain meds because I was always hurt. And so when I got into recovery, I knew I couldn't take pain meds. So I got into this program. It was at that time. It was like one of those programs where you have to pee and, and take blood and pre and post testing. And they were trying this new stress management, teaching you how to learn about your mind body, how you take more responsibility. They taught me how to meditate do yoga and stuff. So I did that. So it helped me with my chronic pain and helped me w- with my recovery and instead of just getting out of survival mode, I was in thrive mode. And what I realized was the best way for me to learn it was to teach it. And the best way for me to keep it was to give it away. And so then I got all bought in because I was interested in, well, if I could do this, I I still got some, some of my friends didn't last. They died. They got, they died. of jails, institution in the hospitals. And I was saying, how can I help more people? Cause I did it. So other people can do it. And my friend came by on April Fool's Day. That's how I got into it. I looked at him and said, "Do this straight." All right. I don't know what he did, but I got to find out. <laughs> I got to check it out. And so once I did that, and I realized, okay, so maybe I was put here to. This is what. This is what I'm here to do. This is my calling is to help other people, help themselves. And so it became obvious for me to, to teach because I was doing that anyway, uh, teaching people and helping them to use the practice or contemplative practices so that they could be in their daily life but compete at a high level but really have a good quality life so i say to have a more creative uh, fulfilled life existence so it's about alleviation of suffering or um, eliminating suffering but it was really more about this is for me so the more i give the more i get back so it's i another one so it's like when i'm helping me i'm helping other people when i'm helping other people I'm helping me so I got sold on that idea. I didn't have to think about it, it was
4: just obvious. That's beautiful, that's one thing our teacher always told us, me, Ali, and Andy have the same teacher, me and Ali's godfather. And the one thing he was like, man, a lot of people get knowledge and hoard it for themselves. That's why their knowledge is limited. And you know the knowledge uh, river stops flowing their way. And the more you give it out, the more information comes to you. And you know that was beautiful what you said, you remind us of our teacher, honestly. Yeah. So that's, you're talking about the Pacheca
1: Buddha, a Buddha that learns, but you don't teach nobody, you know, you're <laughs> talking about the Bodhisattva way. It's like, you, know, you give it away. So, yeah. So it's, it's that. And I, who am I to judge if that's what somebody wants to do? I just know what I need. I know what George, who George is. I got to be George. I got to be myself. And my heart tells me, that's the thing that's amazing about this because I grew up a uh, Southern Baptist, so I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Christian. I don't, I'm just awake, like, or I'm trying to get awake. I'm just, you know, because those labels become limiting. You understand what I'm saying? So for me, it's more about you know, I want to be still and know and understand me. And as it says, when I understand me, I will understand everything. So it's about focusing on me. And I know I'm on the path. I know there's a lot I don't know, but I, I'm the game I'm playing, I'm pursuing excellence and wisdom with grace and ease. That's a game I'm playing, so that means to get out there, talk about it, investigate, explore. But I learned so much from from this call, from people I work with, from people I'm supposed to be sort of teaching or educating, or whatever you want to call it. Man, I'm learning way more from that because I'm um, I mean, I'm in this Socratic dialogue.
2: Mm, I like that. What's interesting, too, is you mentioned something about using the right language and the the HLF guys, they do the same thing where, you know, they presented this program to schools and uh, kids and they couldn't necessarily say Bodhisattva. They had to say, like, you know, find the source within or whatever. And also, like you sort of mentioned, like there's with mindfulness and meditation, there's like a relationship quality to it. And I'm curious, what do you think it is about what keeps people dedicated and where's the consistency that comes from that for people to pursue the practice for many years? Because meditation is something that it's not something like you do once and then it's like you never do it again. You know, it's not like riding a roller coaster. It's something that you do often every day. And, and, but like, sometimes it's not fun, you know, it's kind of like, oh, how is there ways that you keep it fresh? And also, like, what what is it about it that makes it consistent in your life?
1: Yeah, so for me, you can practice uh, mindfulness and wisdom or clearly knowing from a little bit to clearly knowing deeply from the moment you wake up to the time you go to sleep. So meditation for me is more expanded. It's like this time when you're sitting and you're being still and you're practicing, you know, just, you know, uh, uh, certain practices, whatever you're doing. But when you go through the day, and this is—I'm not making this up. This is this is what they call uh, clear comp- mindfulness and clear comprehension. Is you have a meditation object throughout the day. So through the day, you you have to continue to start to, to cultivate these qualities of mind that we talk about. But we—I call them the five superpowers in my book, *The Mindful Athlete: Secrets to Pure Performance*. But it's always about mindfulness and wisdom from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep, and it's more like okay, hey, what, what, what's my intention? What's the best way to do it? Am I present? Am I reacting or am I responding? When we react, there's no space between stimulus and response. This process allows us to make space. The mindfulness in the whole process helps us to make space. And when, when we make space, what we really do, we can slow things down. You talk about athletes to perform when they can slow things down, even though there's a second left or whatever, because they're able to be in that space between stimulus and response. And so it's really more about understanding it's a way of life It's not a practice. In my mind, your practice is your life. So to me, there's no separation because we got to get out of this duality about what is bad. No, it's like this is helpful. It's not. And it's a full time gig. It's like the time I wake up, the time I go to sleep, I'm always practicing. I'm always asking myself, okay, I'm looking at that this way. Why am I looking at things this way? What happens if I look at it this way? What happens if I take off the the fear glasses and put on the love glasses? Is there a relation? Is there a relationship to that? So it's really more about learning, for learning's sake. so I'm pursuing. I'm I'm pursuing excellence and wisdom with grace and ease. So excellence has to be guided by wisdom. And if and before I did it like the warrior way, you know, we grew up in it, So I pushed through things, and I realized slow motion gets you there quicker. And grace and ease is a much better journey. So it's like joy now or never. So you ask me how you do it, you enjoy this stuff now. It's the only time you have is now. So if you decide happiness is a choice. Straight up. Yeah. Joy is a choice. Showing up for your life is a choice. Yeah. So you talk about how to do that. You focus on what's right. We 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 have pathology, we focus on what's wrong. Well. Mindfulness is seeing what works, what doesn't work. It ain't right or wrong. It ain't good or bad. It's like this is helpful, this is not. This is wholesome, this is not. And then you notice that when my mind is right, everything else is right. My mind is in a wholesome state. My thoughts are gonna be wholesome, my words are gonna be wholesome, my actions are gonna be wholesome, wholesome, my habits are gonna be wholesome, my values are gonna be wholesome, my destiny is gonna be wholesome. So that's what it's about, man. It's like this is my life. This ain't I chase it like I chase the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, probably even more because this natural high you can't touch with. It. And I did all that stuff, crack, all that stuff. I did all that stuff. But I've been clean 36 years and eight or nine months. And I'm more excited and more enthusiastic about life than I've ever been. Now, I'm, I'm an OG too, though. So my shit, <laughs> like it used to be, my stuff, I can't go dunk the basketball or go play games and all, and even run. I can't even jog because my knee said, no, brother, not, not, no, you done you're done. That's been a done deal since 1987. That's almost, that's what's that, 44 years? So, but I, I keep doing it. That's why I got into Tai Chi and Qigong and, and yoga and all that other stuff and just walking and and just keeping it fresh. But the body will tell me when it's time to not do it. That's where the mindfulness comes in and paying attention. If you listen, be still and know,
3: you learn a lot. Speaking of the natural high and like contemplative practice, right? like a lot of people get into yoga through the movement and a lot of people get in through to meditation through like the awareness practices. But then something, they they touch something deeper inside of them. They start to touch that, whatever that that is inside of them, whatever people call it, whether it's the God inside of them, the universe inside of them, the source, whatever you call it, what does your personal practice look like? Because I feel like, I mean, like we've never—it's not anything I've talked about—but I feel like yeah. you're doing more than awareness practices and stretching. You know what I mean? Like I feel like, yeah. just from what you're saying and your energy, that there's something else going on with your practice.
1: Yeah. So one of the things, just thinking today, today I've been focused on forgiveness, forgiving myself, forgiving others, forgiving and forgetting, letting go it's just you know because i'm doing this online course and we're moving in the right effort so right effort you know there's a traditional way of right effort but really when we're looking at right effort is how do you abandon a unwholesome mind state how do you prevent the unwholesome mind state from arising in the first place but it's real simple this focus on cultivating a wholesome mind state and maintaining perfecting it so if i'm thinking about forgiving myself and forgiving others then now it's generating a practice it's opening my heart, opening my mind, but realizing that that these resentments we have, all oh, especially being in recovery, I can't afford resentment. That'll get me high. Can't do that. So, so the other practices of forgiving, loving kindness, compassion practice, but to me, it's really more about not being so focused on the mental discipline, which some people, you know, think mindfulness, but they don't differentiate mindfulness from right effort right mindfulness right concentration so that's one component but if the other component is morality or not killing not stealing not all of the precepts but really you know right speech right action right livelihood that's a practice that has to be engaged in and that's guided by wisdom and that's you know right view right right intention but so it's it's like okay so that initially that sets it up because you got to know what works before you can do it whether it's words speech, or, or, or deed but then with the mental discipline that if you get your mind in a positive state of mind and then you go to meditate you ain't gonna struggle as much as you're going to struggle if you don't have right effort to start it off and it took me years to figure that out decades that I't get it I, I got I got fear let's just talk about fear and love. I got fear on my mind and I'm going to meditate with a fearful mind. That's going to be an interesting meditation. But if I say, okay, how do I abandon fear or how do I get more in love and then focus on the joy of discovery? The idea that by doing this, I'm not only helping myself, I'm helping others. So now I have this learning for learning's sake and and having a growth mindset that every time I hit something, it's really, what's the lesson? What do I need to learn? What do I need to let go of? And then go from there. And so it's just like, uh, I'll just be like water. Like Bruce Lee, that's what I'm doing. Okay, whatever comes up, okay, can I embrace it? Can I say, okay, uh, this is what it is. Can I embrace it and still generate the hope? Okay, given this, how can I relate to this in a way that empowers me, enables me, inspires me? And then when I do that, man, I'm in joy. I'm in the joy of discovery. So it doesn't mean I don't have frustration and all that other stuff. Uh, but if, if I know how to change my mind, I'm going to be all right in due time.
2: Yeah. And the state of being is very important. And I think that's what you're saying is you will have a difficult time, like walking in with a fearful mind. And I love our viewers and see it, but we, me and you are glass wearing people. We wear glasses. And so like when you take it off, it's like our perception changes. But when we put it on, we sort of had a podcast about that of what prescription, of view do we have from the lens in which we look through so you pretty much said that and I was just like wow that's super important and I'm really feeling how like it's really important to us it's our responsibility for our happiness and like bad stuff can happen to us but it is who we are digest it in such a way that is can make it meaningful to us
1: yeah, and what's exciting about now, because I feel like I've been doing this practice for 30 years in the closet. I'm not minimizing being in the closet, but a lot of the stuff I was teaching, people didn't want to hear. Now, there's an openness to it. When you ask me my practice, my practice is, is to do those three things, the, the wisdom, the morality or integrity piece, You know, not creating any bad karma or, or trying to focus on goodwill and love instead of hating. And then, you know, the mental practice of just being able to notice, you know, how do I, you know, when I'm trying too hard and not trying hard enough. So depending on where I am, what I'm dealing with or what I'm teaching, I'm teaching what I'm dealing with. So it's like, okay, so, you know, I, I'm a li- I'm hating a little bit right now. <laughs> you know, like Sharon and Solberg and I, we're doing a talk. And she says, how do you teach them about compassion? And I say, oh, I don't, I don't talk about it like that. I just tell them, don't be hating. <laughs> you know, so that's it. That's all I said. Don't be hating, cause you know it's not helpful. And, and then I get into it. But for me to talk about meta, I say, man, get get that meta out of my face, man. What are you talking about meta? <laughs> They're not gonna understand. But when I say don't be hating, it depends on what I need. If I'm if I'm too revved up, how do I calm down? If I'm too calm, how how do I generate more energy? So my practice is I have a standard process, but then I, all depending on where I am, what I'm dealing with, I may add add more to it. So a big part of my process is I read a lot. I study a lot. Like I'm kind of like a Buddhist scholar, but I practice. So I'm going to read about Buddhism, but I'm also going to read about psychology. I'm going to read about quantum physics. I'm going to read about uh, work relationships, emotional intelligence. I'm going to read about all of that stuff, but that's the wisdom piece. I need to get the understanding and then have a language but it's really more about just listening to myself and staying staying in my lane. In other words, I got to do George. What does George need? And focus on that. So my practice changes. And then there's times when I have to do more concentration practice because because I'm all over the place. And then there's times when uh, I'm tough, I have to bring more engagement, have more activity. So it's just really understanding myself, know myself, know what I need, what my needs are, and understanding is because sometimes when we can't do things and then other things are required, like in 2016, I had a bunch of surgeries, so I couldn't get out and do things. So I read probably 30 books that summer. I said, if I'm going to be sitting up here instead of watching Cinemax or Netflix, I'm going to read the books I want to read and I'm going to enjoy myself. for eight, If I can read eight hours a day if I want to.
3: But so that's what I do. Anything you read recently that just blew your mind that you might want to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, um, besides my book, <laughs>
0: I was about to say besides <laughs> I my mean, me. happy. book. Happy.
3: Now y'all uh, laughing. Listen, of course your life. book, but I mean, my book, mind for empathy,
1: with the pure performance. Let me explain something to you. This last week, I read the chapter on insight for the forty-third time. See, because I believe in, to contemplate, what does that mean? To meditate means to contemplate. To contemplate means what? To look at closely or to look at repeatedly. So I look at my book, but actually there's a book I'm, I'm working, I'm using now, it's called The Magic Power of self image Psychology. I decided this week this would be my study. And, and today's lesson actually happened to be on, on forgiveness. right? And it says uh, something like, it says, you know, basically it says, Forgive others, do not, you know, it just talks about we're all human and forgiveness of your, of others, forgiveness of yourself. Don't hold a grudge against yourself. And things like accept your limitations, forget your mistakes, forgive others, see yourself at your best. It's stuff like that. Now you might say, I got nothing to do with Buddhism. Yes, it does. That's right. That has to do with skillfulness. It has to be with cultivating a wholesome mind state. It has to be with how to be more compassionate, more more loving, I'd be more equanimous. So if I understand things, then I'm not going to get, I'm not going to be tripping about it because I understand, oh, this is, this is natural. Okay. You mean, and this is the thing I think we really need to talk about is that for each, this head is one side of the coin, which is potential freedom. The other side is, is, is tails. That's anxiety. So we have to embrace what they call VUCA military called VUCA, every moment, everything, VUCA, volatile, if things are volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. So we have to embrace that and say, yes, this is happening. And what's the lesson? What's the essence? How do I relate to this in a way where I have more space between a stimulus and response? And then I can choose based on my heart, my values, like love, compassion, seeking to understand that sort of thing. Does that make sense? So to me, I open up meditation. It's like Like my philosopher, uh, I love to listen to Dr. Dre. I got my mind on money, money on my mind. That's meditation. Rolling down
2: the street, smoking. Yeah.
1: And so whatever's on your mind, that's your meditation. So you got to know what that is. And the other thing he said that I love is he said, my money's on me. So that's how I roll. My money's on me. And I need to know what I have on my mind so I know what my mind is on. Yeah.
2: Wise words from Dr. Dre.
0: Man, George. You've been blowing my mind this whole, I mean, I ain't surprised, you know, we know how thorough you are, but we've had a lot (laughs) of badass people on this podcast for real. And I, the audience can't see it, but I have nodded my head in agreement more times on this podcast than all of the other ones combined. Just, It's like you are so in tune with everything that our teacher would always speak to us about, about this not being a practice, but a, a way of living, you know, mm-hmm. of, of embodying it, of mm-hmm. of of helping people to help themselves, of, of seeing yourself in other people. And so when you help them, you're helping yourself and just keeping it real. Right. Like, I think that's why me, Ali, and I, when we first met you out the gate, we knew we loved you because you kept it real. And there's so many mm-hmm. people in this field or industry, for lack of a better word, who sometimes you don't feel that same realness and authenticity that, I mean, you just, you, you, like you said, you're George. I, I, Ali always says this phrase I love, he's like, Ali always says, I'm the best at being Ali. Like, amen, right? Amen. And you clearly are the best amen. at, you know, the best at being George, right? You know, yes. and I loved how you said, how there was a point in your life where you felt like this was your mission. Mm -hmm. Like you, you knew it, you know what I mean? So, so I want to dive into that a little bit more because, you know, you said over 30 years, you're doing this, you know, like we, we, we've been doing it for around 20 years now, you know what I mean? And, and I could see how some people, when they feel like, Hey, this is what I'm supposed to do in life, that after a long period of time, it may kind of be like, ah, is this really what I want to keep doing? But your hunger Seems so identical to ours. About like mm-hmm. you're talking about reading. Like that's all I want to do is read more. Mm-hmm. I want to learn more. It reminds me of Uncle Will always. You know, every time he went there, new book, new practice, mm-hmm. new mantra. Hey, what about mm-hmm. this? Don't I'm doing. You know, like it's nonstop, right? You know, like and 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 for you to have this drive. And first off, you you were you're were wise enough to experience and know this is going to help me, right? Mm-hmm. I got it for me here. In, in the wise words uncle will you would be quite remiss if you did not share it with others right you, mm-hmm. you know I, I bet that's how you felt and mm-hmm. and it seems like your hunger is still like that today you know like mm-hmm. so what like what made you kind of think of this up? think like what you know George is sitting there he's he's in his practice he's he, he's you know he's he's going inward and he's like you know this will be good maybe I should put athletes onto this this is gonna help athletes out and even more than that like I just want to do this. For everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what made that happen? you know what, why?
1: Yes so it was 19 yeah, I think 87, 88 whatever the power of myth was on and Joseph Campbell when I was in I was working I was in financial analyst in the corporate environment for 16 years and I got to a place in my job where I couldn't keep doing it I, and I couldn't quit because you know I was making good money and didn't want to leave but I got to a place where I couldn't stay there and I couldn't leave. And Joseph Campbell had the power myth on, and he was talking about follow your bliss. And so you follow your heart. And there's a book called The Way of Man, and he talks about heart searching, he talks about you know the idea that we all have a divine bark that we have just encrusted by isolating shell. And our job is to break out of that. That's why I came up with the masterpiece. And so it's really more about me saying, okay, so if I only had six months to live, what would I be doing? And then really just list, be still and listen. Let my heart tell me. There's a still small voice we all have a wisdom, but it's easily drowned out. So part of the the practice when I start like I start meditating on love, or I start just be still and know and just listening and asking those questions. You know, why am I here? What what do I love doing? You know, and so I went from analyzing numbers to analyzing people and just understanding how people get motivated and how they communicate in a way where what they say and what they do are in alignment. I needed to be intellectually stimulated, but it was me embracing and saying, okay, not like Finding Foster, but dude had to hide from his boys that he was a poet and everything. It's just like saying, okay, so if I have to do that, I'm in the wrong, I'm with the wrong people. I need to go someplace where I could just be George. I could be myself. It's easier. Now, I could be George in any either place, but it's easier when you're in a place where you can you can experiment and explore like what do I like and just listening to your heart and so to me that's that's what I did and and then things start happening so you said well I, I didn't look to act; I wasn't trying to work with athletes uh Phil Jackson called, called John Cabot Zen and said he needs somebody to help the Bulls deal with the stress of success they just won three championships and then he said well you know we had this so he saw my picture and he said, well, who's he? He said, oh, he works with our prison project. And, you know, he went with Dr. J. It, you know, so I said, we want him because he ain't going to listen to them little white men. They just ain't going to listen to him. But this dude, he he come from the hood. they going to listen to him. He understand. Plus, he got Steve Shriek. So that's how that shit happened. I wasn't looking for it. It just happened. It just happened. Because I was doing, I, was, see, I believe this. When I know what I'm supposed to do and I'm clear about it, then the universe will collude with me. And things happen. And so that's what happened. And then I got into it. And then my other roommate, Al, was coach of BC. And he was struggling. He said, will you come in and help us? And I started working with BC. I worked with them for 12 years. But it's always been before they had internet. And all that was word of mouth. People would say, oh, my wife needs, needs you know, for her 40th birthday, I want you to teach help her with a tennis game. Well, he hires me for the wife. The wife says, well, dude has an office. He's a doctor. It's out of control. Will you go help him with that? And that's how it goes. So I, you know, I just customize things. I, I apply, you know, to me, as
3: long as you got a mind and body, I can work with you. Do you miss working in the prison at all? I know, um, just from like the uh, hunger of knowledge. And- yeah. Oh. Yeah. I don't
1: miss being there. Cause I, I did my five year, whatever. I want to help them, but to be honest with you, when I went in, there, it took me five days of meditating, four days of meditating to get back. I'm an empath. So all of that stuff is going to, I had to figure out how to be in there and not take that shit home. But, but, and some of them dudes in the prison, which is crazy, Allie, the dudes in my class, I used to get high with and they were from my hood. So you see what I'm saying? So now it's like, okay, so I, I still want to support the prison. So I'm going to train the people to go in there and do it or the people that are doing it. I'm going to support them. But my mission now is not so much in the locker rooms or in the prisons, is more about how to uplift everybody. So now I'm more like a, a, a like an elder or mentor. My job now is to help you all and everybody else be who you are, to support you to do it, because I'm OG now. So my role is more like the teach and, and and to encourage and to support. And at the same time, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen. I know it's going to be great. I mean, I just did a 10% happier Half Your podcast came out yesterday. I did one with Tim Ferriss that's going to come out this week sometime. I got a new book coming up. It's happening, man. And all I'm doing is just being George and serving. If I serve, the money comes. That's all I could tell you. But, you know, this is why I'm here. So I'm excited about it. I'm embracing who I am. I can do George. I can't. Like you said, I'm the expert on George. And so I, I need to own that.
2: Man, listening to you talk is so amazing. And it seems like you've been through many iterations of how you show Mm -hmm. up teaching people mindfulness, whether it's in the prisons, whether it's with high-performance executives and also athletes and also just just people in general, just kind of like normal folk. Have you noticed, is there any similarities and or differences when speaking to people that's like high-performance athlete or just random person that just is interested?
1: Yeah, so the thing I loved about... The Buddha and and Jesus Christ, they they spoke in parables and they spoke the language that people do. So I I go in there and just go in there and I let the mindfulness and the wisdom dictate what I'm going to do. Okay. So I have an idea, but then when I go in there, I give you an example. When I was working in prison, I had this class. I think we had like 30 inmates, and I went in there. I my one of my first this is back in the early '90s, and I had. I had this all these corpus notes of them and give them an amazing diamond talk. I went in there and twenty-eight of them were Spanish-speaking only, so I had to translate it. So that shit, I, I had to put the notes aside. Said I got to keep this shit real simple and just focus on the the thing. And so that's what I do. So when I go in and I work with people, it's always I ask, it's always the same question: What do you want? And who do you need to be to do what you want? That's pretty much it. And then the process to me, it's always about getting the insight first. Then you understand what technique or what approach is going to work. This is all mindfulness and clear comprehension. I'm not making this up. Mm-hmm. You don't have an assumption
2: walking into uh, like a teaching situation. You're more or less like, no, what's the vibe, you
1: know? Letting things speak to me. Yeah. So, On some level, I learned this because I, I trained as a therapist when I first went to graduate school. And when you when you're in therapy, you know, you're a therapist and you're working in a in an organization, you get the jacket on the person, you know, the the file, and, and they they always they just put a lens on you to tell you how to see this person. And so the thing is, it's like that they can send me the file, but it's really about the real person that's sitting you know away from me. And how, how they're presenting themselves and their energy. That's a real life person. That's the person that I need to engage with, not their symptoms. And so for me, I look at everybody. I'm not fixing anybody. I'm just helping people chip away to let that divine spark or that masterpiece out. That's how I work. I'm not trying to fix nobody. I'm just saying, okay, you're already perfect, whole, and complete. You don't know it. And are you interested in trying to tap into that? If you are, we can roll. If not, you know, nice meeting you. I'm out. <laughs> I don't have time for knuckleheads. I'm just saying, I'm being honest. Did my time. Let that little
0: light shine, right? This little light yes. of mine.
1: So it's just really pain, you know. For me, I did it for five years. It's really painful to be there, but I pray and I and I think I had impact because I've seen a couple of them come out and, and approach me at the meditation center. So I know, but I think the fact that other people are doing it, and if I can keep helping them be the best version of their self. I can't be in all these places, but if I can have that ripple where I'm helping people and encouraging people to go in, and, and if you feel like if my heart was, if that's what my heart was telling me I need to do, I would do that. My heart is telling me that I needed to be, like I 2018, I was working with the Miami Dolphins, and I was saying, okay, there's another 29 teams that need this, and part of me was like, maybe instead of working one team, I need to work with, it created space for all of them to that, have that benefit. And as it turns out, I'm going to be doing uh, something with the NFL Players Association Book Club in May. Going to do, they're going to do a thing, and then all of the players will be available. So to me, it's really about cause the dude that just went and shot all those people up. You know his mind wasn't right from playing football. Come on, man. So we got to catch some dudes early. And so to me, it's like, so the need is so big. And then now, you know, I've worked with police officers. They need a whole lot of work, you know? So it's everybody. it's, It's like, so to me, it's like everybody is under the sun. Everybody, I'm not saying they need it, but it could be helpful, but they have to want it. They can't, it's for those who want it. It's not for those who need it. And I learned that the hard way. Have you worked with a lot of athletes that have been just been like, man, fuck this. I don't need this. Oh yeah. And call it. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. I'd be working with them, but I, I, i fuck with them Cause you know, sometimes they say, uh, I say, Hey dude, what's happening? Uh, I'm chilling. I say, chilling ain't only fucking get it done. You gotta be chilling and willing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but it's, but it's to me, it's like, They're not wrong, I like the skepticism, but the real question is, once their ass gets on fire, then you got them. When they have a sense of urgency other than that, it's like they're saying, yeah, but I don't need that. Well, I have guys come to me like, I want to be like Kobe and Mike. And then when I say, okay, this is what you got to do. Well, I didn't sign up for that shit. I said, well, you don't want to do it. And then sometimes I just say, how's that shit working for you? It ain't, okay, so you got a choice. Either you keep doing what you're doing or you fucking change. And so depending on who I could talk to, like the dudes, the basketball dudes, now I'm talking with the women, I'm not going to talk to them like that. But depending on who I'm talking to, they're going to get it straight. I'm going to talk to them in a language they can hear. And just, you know, but even though it may be a curse words, it, there's a lot of compassion and love about it. It's about, you know, that sort of, you know, that sort of wisdom, trying to cut through the ignorant, trying to cut through the caliasis, whether it's greed or fear, and just kind of do it like that. But to me, it's, I see all people and, you know, I work with different, you know, I got, I have private clients, several pros, um, and I work with them, but it's the same deal. It's like my job is to help
4: you be you and to be present for your life. That's it. One thing, uh, you know, we always reflect on our teacher on here because he's so important to us. Uh, I remember when Andy, Ali, and I first started with our own personal practice uh, it was more physical on the map based, uh, yep. you know, a lot of different Kundalini, Kriya, Pranayama, you know, a lot of those practices, you know, as uh, Andy said, like, you know, it kind of got more subtle through the years, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where he started teaching us, you know, matras and mudras and... Mm-hmm different types of yoga, whether it's bhakti yoga and, you know, seeing your reflection in other people, the de- uh yoga of devotion and, you know, loving everything, everyone and stuff like that. And even though it's not physical, that's one of the hardest motherfucking yogas to do because there's so many assholes out here pushing your buttons. So like through the years, mm-hmm. you know, and and still to this day, like if we feel like you know, our body needs to uh, we need to whip our ass, you know, and jump on that mat. We have the practices and we know what we're mindful of our body to know what we need to do. And we have enough tools to, you know, whip our bodies back into shape. But our practice has really changed in time. You know, it's morphed mm-hmm. to different things. Yeah. Uh, h- how about yourself? Like, how has your practice changed or morphed over the years of, you know, your own practice and working with others? Yeah. So I had a hard time sitting so, walking meditation
1: and Tai Chi and movement, because I'm an athlete. So, I like being in my body and physical, being able to physically do it. So, and I studied with uh, this grandmaster, her name is uh, Bosan Mark, been doing uh, with her, and she used to talk about a moving center. And so, there's stillness and movement and movement and stillness. So, it's this idea of the mind body thing. You can enter it through the body or through the mind, but whatever your dominant thing is, how you learn and this goes for if you're I'm kinesthetic so I'm a physical learner. So whatever my tendencies are, I have to learn through that mode. And once I learn through the kinesthetic mode, then the visual and the auditory will be there. So if you can't sit still then then move your way in the stillness. And then so you get what I'm saying. So for me, because I you know I couldn't sit cross legged and all that stuff plus all the injuries I had and everything. But I got to the point where I could I could be in stillness. So I sat in a chair. I sat in the cushion so much I hurt my knee, I just sat through it. So you, I play with it, but it's really more about what works for you. And this is the thing I love about the Buddha said, see for yourself. So I offer you a teaching as part of one of the awakening factors is investigation. Adama said, see, can you have an experience of what the teaching is? That's what, that's what that's about. So when I could see, okay, George said that I could move my way in the stillness, then I got to see if that's true. But I have to have an open mind. So my practice has changed. So, yeah, it's accepting where I am. And then there's some people who want to sit all the time and they need to get their ass off the cushion. I'm just saying. And their body would tell them that. But that's why it's more about you got to listen to your body and your mind. It will tell you what you need to know if you can be still and know. You can just listen and then be willing to get out of your comfort zone. I talk about that all the time. you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because that anxiety, that uncertainty is always going to be there. And this goes back to the uh, Kierkegaard, one of the existentialists. He calls it the alarming possibility of being able. He says, freedom and anxiety are two sides of a coin. So you, and when you're in anxiety, that, you're getting close to flow. So you got to embrace it. The only way out is through. It's like a doorway. You got to walk through it and say, okay, anxiety here. I'm getting close to being in flow. I'm getting close to where I need to go. And and I can embrace it and and it's a teacher it can become my teacher
2: nice what's what's interesting too is I'm throughout this podcast I'm hearing you talk there's you know I had this idea of if I want to promote love or friendship or like less fear or something like like you know insert whatever here I need to meditate on it or sit with it or whatever but you're almost saying in some sense is like you know, you if your mind's wandering, you can't just sit down and calm yourself. You almost have to like prepare the space a bit more before you kind of walk into something and just say like, oh, I'm going to present more love in my life. But it's like, well, you know, you got to love yourself before you start loving a little bit bigger f- feel from you.
1: Yeah. But now skillful means might be you have to love the little kid before you can love yourself so once you feel the love then you can project it to yourself cuz to me that's why I told you Karen I said most of dudes I work with uh you know there's a lot of self hate there you know you you have to you have to warm them up but you know there's you know a mentor or a kid or somebody but once you once they feel the love then you can project that you can radiate that to whoever you want to so what i would say what you just said david is and so if you're all over the place then What's really happening is you have the hindrance of uh, worry and restlessness that's present, and you need to abandon that before you said. So during the day, you're walking around. This is what Buddha did. He was walking meditation and fear came up. He would keep walking until the fear left. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's it. But um, I'm talking about advanced practices, but it's really simple. It's really whatever's on your mind, you got to notice it and then say, okay, is this helpful or not? If it's not helpful, then you got to let it go. You got to be able to transform it. So this, this practice is, I'm telling you, the longer I've been in, I, I'm in here, the more I say, man, I'm making this shit too complicated. It's a real mm-hmm. simple practice. Apply thought, sustain thought. Hello? That's it. That's it. Then you have happiness. You know, you have piety. And then you have happiness and you have one pointness That's the first jhana right there. And those five things, they put all of the five hindrances in abeyance simple well, shit, you don't have to go to the fifth jhana or whatever. You got, you can go to the first jhana just on access concentration, and then that, and then that's enough. Or, and you can go deeper when you want to." I remember doing meditation, you know, that's, you know, sh- shamatha practice, give myself a headache because I'm a perfection, uh, becoming perfectionist. I had to let that shit go, <laughs> you know. But I had to pay attention to it. Like, okay, you know. You Know and it's funny, and I'll, I'll share this with you. Maybe you guys saw this. So, I used to i have been in crack houses and, and shooting galleries. That's when people that use heroin get high and then they just be nodding and shit. And so, when I went to IMS on a long term retreat, people started going to the reclining room or the, in, in the uh library and they would like just zone it out with their concentration. And I said, Man, this is like a fucking shooting gallery. <laughs> 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 And I started laughing. (laughs) So, you know, so that's how I deal with it. I have a lot of humor, man. I did the three-month course, and there were 100. Say there was 100 yogis. There were fucking 98-pair burger stocks. I go and I look at this fuse. I said, man, look at this shit here, man. I bet they all go to Whole Foods. They all (laughs) And I'm just messing with it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not judging. It's just funny, man. Life is funny, man. This is what I do. I should look at it and say, oh, man. But, you know, but that tells you all you need to do because we hide out in conformism. It's easier to hide out in plain sight than to be yourself and be different. And so on some level, it's easy to me because I didn't see nobody there look like me, maybe one or two, so I could be myself. I didn't have to try to be like them. Couldn't be like them. That's awesome. You know, so that's the that's the deal, man. This is this is a process that we have here that we can do what the research says. Research says 90% of long-term happiness is predicated on how our nervous system interprets our experience. Not 10%, 90%. It's a lot. Yeah. So if you stay like you talked about Dave, you get in the right frame of mind and you focus on being happy and, and being in love and, and connecting with people, then that's going to be your experience. If so something happens and you interpret it in a way that, that okay, what's the lesson? And then you keep it moving.
3: Yeah. All right. So there's a lot of people that, that look like us that aren't into or don't have access to yoga and meditation or contemplative practice, or a lot of ways to connect to themselves internally. um, mm-hmm. Like that spirit within them to slow things down and not be as impulsive. And then like you were talking about that, that whole responding instead of reacting to things, What's something that you think the mindfulness world can do to give more access to people of color, particularly black people in this country, to give them more access to these skills? Because it seems like a lot of the trauma, a lot of the pain um, historically has been on us in this country. So like and we could benefit a lot from not saying everybody can't benefit from the practices, but I feel like we could benefit from them a lot. So what's something you think the mindfulness world can do to, to help that?
1: Yeah, you have to meet them where they are. And speak to the issues they're dealing with and how this can help. I know that sounds really simple, but it's challenging because we have to we have to meet them where they are. And and once again, I think for me, the way I deal with that is I, I keep writing and doing podcasts and then just creating these visions of possibility for folks so that they can see, okay, you're not buying into this. That's why I, I use the Dr. Dre thing. <laughs> You know, you, you are, whether you want, it, no, want to admit it or not, you're, you're meditating and all your thoughts, there's no neutral thoughts. Whatever you're thinking, you're creating. So I know that's a burden, but that's also a, a way out, the path to freedom. You know, and I'm going back to the Apollo Funkadelics when I was in college. The name of their song was Free Your Mind and Your Ass Will Follow, George Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> That that's, it. Awesome. that's it right there. But ask that question, right? Mm. And even though I have an answer today, keep asking that question because today it might be different. But if you ask yourself that question and you get quiet enough, the answer is going to come. It might take a year, it might take years, but it will come. If you keep asking that question, if you meditate on that and you start thinking about how can I be helpful in this situation, how can I give people more access? And part of it is did not have this idea that you know what's best for them. That's why I say if you see them as a masterpiece, because you say, oh, you need this, it will help you. On some level, you're telling them that you know what's best for them. Not that your intention, but that's how they might interpret it. So that's why it's really important, because, you know, I, I had, uh, I forget who it was, it was Knox, I don't, I don't know Knox's last name, but I did something for, for District Vision, and he was interviewing me. He says, "How come folks like us don't, don't do more of this. And I said, that's a good question. Part of it is a church. That's why I talk about people and says it, you know, prayer and meditation, you know, the serenity prayer. That was my first meditative object that I had before I knew meditation. I just say that as a mantra and it removed the obsession to use. When I first got out of detox, I had the obsession and I recited the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference and the obsession was removed. So I had a spiritual awakening just on that, just on that little mantra, but I got it in the meetings that I had the ability to do that. And so we have to have these conversations about, okay, what can we do to make things different? And that's what we have to understand, just have them own that they're meditating all the time. And so whether they want to admit it or not, it's not in the traditional sense, but they got to understand that there's a relationship between what you think and what you experience, how you see yourself. And then so we have to have conversations where we may not, we have to build up to getting them on the cushion or whatever. You understand what I'm saying? So it, it, it's, it's like we're having a conversation about freedom or about less suffering, about realizing that maybe it's, it's you have the power to respond or react. And if, if you want to feel better, if you if you want to have a way forward, then the way forward is you, even if you don't do, and I remember the, reading this somewhere, even if they don't do the meditation thing, if they keep the five precepts, they're going to be pretty happy. Appreciate that answer, man. Yeah. And this is how yeah. I learned, because you asked me things of that, and now I'll be thinking about that.
0: We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Hopefully you can jump on another one of these later on. Yeah, man, listen,
1: listen, I got nothing but love for y'all, man. And, you know, whatever I can do to support you all. Y'all been doing it for a while. Uh, self-supporting to your own contributions and all that
4: stuff. Y'all been through the whole thing. I know. So I love yeah. you to death, man. Man, appreciate we love you, you all, too, man. Yeah, we love yeah, you man. too, man. And we miss All right. It. Wait to see you in person again, man. Yeah, but yeah.
0: y'all
1: are awesome. When I talk about masterpieces, man, I ain't lying. You the man.
0: You you the man. Hey, hey, real quick, <laughs> before you jump, before you jump off, uh, how can all of our listeners get a copy of Mindful Athlete? And do you yeah, have any, so any announcements know. for like the future yes. book coming out? So let right. everybody know. Right.
1: So if they go to my uh website, george mumford.com, they can get a I give them a free cha- a one chapter free, I guess. And you know, if they go to Amazon or any bookstores, the Mindful Athlete is being sold in. You know, as, as you can get it in, and you know, as a paperback, you can get it in Kendo and you can get it in Audible. Throwing out some testers, George. I see you. But I'm doing yeah. and I got a, I got a YouTube channel where every Thursday or every once a week I do this. Being at home with George during COVID, so there's a bunch of free stuff. And what I learned from my friend years ago, if you Google me, there's all kind of stuff out there because I'm an OG. I've been around for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Man, love you so much. You. Peace and love, right, bro. Man.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Have Peace. a great rest of your All day.
1: Right. You too. Bye bye.
2: Thank you for listening to Look Again Podcasts. Please feel free to share this content with your friends and community. Also, please consider donating to our Patreon page. You can find us at patreon.com and search for look again podcast anything helps and we really appreciate your visit thank you so much